the number one thing that you can do to stop lawsuits is to have anonymity because without the information to know that you're a good target to sue or that somebody's a good target to sue, those lawsuits don't happen because lawsuits cost five to $10,000 to get off the ground. And if you can make it look like there's nothing there to come after, then guess what? It just doesn't happen. This is the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan, where we interview local real estate investors and professionals to go over tips, tricks, and investing strategies to help you learn about the business and to enable you to achieve your financial goals. And now, welcome to the show. What's going on, investors? And welcome to episode 244 of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. Today, we have Scott Royal Smith. Scott is an asset protection attorney and real estate investor. And in today's episode, Scott will talk to us about the different types of asset protection strategies that you need to know to protect yourself from a lawsuit. He'll explain the concept of using different entity structures, such as LLCs and DSTs, to give yourself anonymity to make you look like an unattractive person to sue. So if you want to know more about the nitty-gritty details about entity creation and asset protection strategies and how it can help you in different financial situations, then you need to listen to this episode. By the way, if you're an active real estate investor, you need to have a solid lender on your team that can reliably fund all of your real estate projects at great rates. I can help. We do hard money loans nationwide at amazing rates and can close in 10 to 14 days. So if you're looking for a hard money loan, you can contact me at sean at everythingrei.com. That's S-E-A-N at everythingrei.com. Let me know that you're a podcast listener and I'll give you a discount on our processing fees. And now onto the show. Scott, thank you so much for being on the show today. Go ahead and introduce yourself. That's who you are and tell us what you do. Uh, hey, Sean. Yeah. So uh, my name is Scott Royal Smith. I'm a uh, asset protection attorney as well as real estate investor. And I actually started uh, real estate investing while I was in law school. And I ended up buying a transmission and auto repair shop and ran that and then got into real estate uh, investing more when I was in private practice suing insurance companies. And as I built my, uh, my real estate holdings, um, being an attorney, I ran into a lot of problems that now I help clients do all over the country. So I've been doing it for about uh, seven years now, asset protection specialist and estate planning and tax, specifically to real estate investors. And then I've been a real estate investor for about 12 years. Awesome. So what got you into real estate investing? Yeah. So initially it was just because I had a, a, a desire to be able to graduate from law school without any debt. And so I had a, an opportunity you know, that presented itself to me where I was like, hey, man, will you want to buy this? Um, transmission and auto repair uh, building and run the business. And I had a a partner there that knew how to run the the business side and turn all the wrenches. And I was like, great, I know business and I know real estate. So I'm going to go ahead and um, do that. So we we were able to pay for all of our um, just like monthly expenses out of the business. And then we flipped the building uh, to pay off our law school debts uh, coming out of law school. And so that's what got me going and saying, man, I no matter what I do next, you know, I'm going to keep doing real estate investing. And so I I was working as a litigation attorney suing insurance companies, come to find out that insurance companies are profit-seeking corporations that make money off of collecting premiums and denying coverage, as you might well know. Um, But the whole time I was just real estate investing. And I was making, after about a few years, I was making more money doing real estate investing than I was being an attorney. So I stopped being an attorney and I was just doing real estate investing full-time. And then I think people found out that I was an attorney in my local real estate groups and said, hey, Scott, what are you doing to like structure the company's for to hold your assets, you know, to help yourself to protect yourself from lawsuits. And what are you doing to help lower your tax expenses? And how do you integrate your estate planning? And so those are all things that I had to put together for myself. And so then I just started helping other people that I knew that were other real estate investors with it. And, and that was the birth of, of Royal Legal Solutions, my law firm. 
So why don't we talk a little bit more about that? Like, what are some things that you had to do to protect your assets from outside litigation? I mean, there's, there's a lot to know, like in this field, right? And I think that's what happens to a lot of people is that they get, you know, there's really information overload, right? You can read like one web page and it tells you to do one thing. And then you'll read like another article and it tells you to do the exact opposite. And people typically are just really confused um, about what to do. And it even gets to the extent of like, well, well, what happens if you just start calling professionals? Well, not every professional you contact is a real estate investor themselves, right? To really understand the nitty gritty of how does this really work and how does it need to work? Because it's not just enough to like put something up, right? It also has to work um, operationally with like how much time and expense does it take you to actually run the structure? Um, so the, the nuts and bolts of it, of what every single person needs to have is you need to have at least one LLC, um, probably two at a minimum, one to be able to be your asset holding company, a separate LLC to be your operational company. Um, you need to be thinking about your tax strategy. Um, if you're making more than $50,000 a year, there's tax saving things you can do that relate to your company structure uh, that are special to how you're going to do your company structure. Uh, and uh, you also have to be thinking about your estate planning and how your estate planning is going to enter into it because you might get hurt in the hospital. Who's going to be able to pay your bills and take care of, of those financial matters for you if you don't have a durable power of attorney set up that can help protect you if, if you're injured and but you need somebody to help take care of you? Or if you die, right? How do you make sure that all of the wealth that you've created is passed on appropriately to take care of your children and not, not get caught up in probate court and, and not have it exposed to the public records? And, and that's one of the things that we, we specialize in really is how to create anonymity anonymity around the ownership of your assets, anonymity around your operations, anonymity when it comes time to pass on assets, because the number one thing, the number one thing that you can do to stop lawsuits is to have anonymity because without the information to know that you're a good target to sue or that somebody's a good target to sue, those lawsuits don't happen because lawsuits cost five to $10,000 to get off the ground. And if you can make it look like there's nothing there to come after, then guess what? It just doesn't happen. Right. Because the lawyer is going to say it's not worth our time to even do this because you're not going to get anything out of it. Yeah. People that look like they qualify for food stamps don't get sued. Gotcha. And so what do you do to create this anonymity? Yeah. So you use uh, revocable grantor trusts. So we typically you'll probably hear those referred to as like land trusts um, or agent trusts. Right. And what they do is they just take the place. The trust just takes the place of anywhere you have to put a person on the public record. Right. And then they say, well, who who's connected to this trust? Where is this trust located as a business address? Who created these entities? Who created these trusts? Well, all of that points back to the law firm. And then all of that information is protected by the attorney client privilege. So you can use the trust to uh, mask the name on the public record. And then people would say, well, OK, well, I, how can I find out who created the trust? I'd say, well, nope, can't find anything there because it all just points back to a law firm. And none of that information is, is anything that I can get to. Uh, so I can't get any further information. Um, about that entity. Now, as you as like a client, right? John, if you're a client of mine, you say, well, how do I get like, how does this anonymity, is it going to be hard for me to be able to do business and do my banking or whatever financing, whatever the case would be? And the answer is it absolutely changes nothing. Nothing in your life actually changes in terms of like, how do you do your taxes, how you should be doing your bookkeeping, how you're going to um, be able to uh, establish bank accounts, et cetera, because all of the trust documents are private. They're not publicly filed. That's how we can maintain their anonymity. But there are documents that you can then produce to the bank or produce to whoever you need to, to prove your ownership. 
and to establish those bank accounts. And those types of disclosures are private disclosures. They're not public. They're not searchable by anybody else. So we're okay doing those and still maintaining our anonymity, our information protection. So uh, I'm a hard money lender, right? And a lot of my clients do have these interesting entities where they put properties in to you know, avoid getting sued. And you know, I've heard the strategy where people put their properties in land trust before. And what I, what I don't understand is how come like my firm doesn't allow us to do loans to a land trust? You know, we want them to do the loan in their personal name or through an LLC, but like a land trust is not a viable entity. Why, why, why do you think that is? What you typically will find is that um, lending institutions, everybody makes their own rules, how they want their money to go, right? Some lending institutions are totally fine with it, uh, financing inside of a trust. Other ones aren't. It actually has to do with the underwriting requirements um, of whatever that lending institution is using. And those underwriting requirements have to be attorney vetted. And what are they doing? They're probably, they're only vetting out what are the most popular um, options that are available for them, right? Like less than 1% of anybody's business is going to be financing into a trust. So they just typically don't do it, right? As like, as as a general rule, right? They want to do like, hey, let's use like a plain Jane LLC or whatever the case may be. So what we do is a little bit uh, different. It's like a hybrid, a little bit of a hybrid model. So you could use like an LLC or a series LLC for the asset protection, the lawsuit protection uh, parts of things. Um, with a series LLC, which is my favorite, what you can do is create one series LLC in either Texas, Delaware, Nevada, or Wyoming, um, any of those places that has strong charging order protection. Uh, and then you can use that series LLC anywhere else. I think you remember you saying that like the majority of the listeners are from the Bay Area. Uh, so for in this case, what I would actually recommend everybody in California use is something called a Delaware Statutory Trust. Um, and with a Delaware Statutory Trust or a DST, as we call it internally, it's a trust structure that allows you to be able to create child series, which are basically like individual trusts um, underneath that parent. And they're all free to create and it's infinitely scalable. So you can create one parent company called a DST and it can create an infinite number of these children underneath it. And it's infinitely expandable, doesn't cost you anything uh, to create them or to maintain it. And the best part is, is each one of those childs are treated like a separate entity for liability purposes. Um, so that way, if that one property is ever sued, they can't go after any of the other properties. And they can't come after you personally. Um, the whole entity can be created um, anonymously. And, and when it comes time to buy a new property, you'll either find a lender who is, works okay with using the Delaware Statutory Trust and lending directly into the trust. Or um, what you can do is buy the asset and any other vehicle, like either in your personal name or inside an individual LLC, close on the asset, get the money from the lender, and then transfer the asset into your DST and land trust at that time, right? And that's the way that you would, uh, if you run into a financing issue, right, where they won't lend to the entity, you just simply close in one entity and transfer to another. Uh, and then... Uh, there's there's some issues in there too where people will raise and say, well, what about like the due on sale clause, right, of of, of a mortgage or a note, right, that would come through. And uh, per the St. Germain Act, uh, which laws pass, is that you're actually not allowed to foreclose on a one to four unit property from a transfer into a trust. It specifically has to be a transfer into a trust. So the St. Germain Act actually protects you from that type of uh, liability. Secondarily, it's also extremely rare for lenders to ever even raise an issue about any loan that's gone through as long as the note is still performing and payments are still being made because it's a really bad business decision to try to foreclose on a note uh, that's performing. Um, and thirdly, if for some reason they did proceed with a foreclosure proceeding of some sort, our worst case scenario is just deeding the property back to whoever you had it initially, whenever you closed on it. It's called curing the breach of contract. 
So no way would anybody ever be in a situation that they would actually be put in a position to lose money um, with it. Um, you're really in the exact same position from a business standpoint as you would otherwise be. Uh, but you get this out of benefit of getting the financing you want on the one hand, but then also getting all of the protection and anonymity and avoiding the franchise taxes by using the DST on the other. So what's the difference between using a DST versus like an LLC? For California, it has to do with the franchise taxes. So a DST isn't going to provide you any better protection than using individual LLCs, one for each property and one LLC to own all the subsidiary LLCs. And that's how you'll see most people do it called like a hub and spoke model throughout the rest of the United States, right? But California has a special issue, right? Because $800 per LLC, right? And it doesn't matter where that LLC is located. According to the Franchise Tax Board rules, if you're located in California and you have an LLC anywhere, California wants to charge you an $800 franchise tax for it. So what we do is we establish the DST, which gives you the exact same protection or arguably even better because it's a domestic asset protection. It's a type of domestic asset protection trust, which is the highest form of protection you can get domestically. And with that, what we've seen is that even though the, the DST can range anywhere between uh, typically from just general providers out there, you typically think that this is going to cost you somewhere between four to $7,000 to put together, depending upon the complexity. But you save money on how much you have to spend each year by avoiding the franchise taxes. And this also allows you to compartmentalize every asset, which you, as a California investor, you would never do because you'd be like, wow, it's too expensive for me to have to pay to have each like eight LLCs if I had eight properties, right? Well, now you can avoid all of that and still have that same great protection using the DST. So I guess another question is, let's say, why wouldn't someone just do the exact same strategy in like Texas? You know, like, yeah, in Texas, I can have as many LLCs as I want, but I could also do the DST strategy. So why wouldn't they do that over there? Yeah, we have clients that are in Texas that want to use the DST because they want the higher protection of a domestic asset protection trust, which is the highest. A domestic asset protection trust is the highest protection you can get inside of the United States before you go offshore, right? Um, now, when you look at like, say, well, we have clients that want them, they want the highest protection, so they're going to use a DST, right? We have other clients that are a little bit more price sensitive. And so clients that are more price sensitive will say, great, well, why don't you use, um, let's do lesser protection. We'll use a series LLC. Right. A series LLC gives you the same compartmentalization. It's not quite as strong as a DST um, aspect. And um, that'll give you uh, what you need. Um, so for anybody in the other 49 states, almost everybody is going with a, a series LLC. Now, and there's and there's also clients that say, hey, I only have like one property and, you know, or maybe two properties, but I still want some help on how to structure everything together. And for those clients to say, great, let's just do like a couple LLCs then. We don't need to do anything because we're not looking to scale. We're not looking for high volume of number of assets. If you don't see yourself acquiring more assets the next five years and, and growing your portfolio the next five years, then you don't need, um, you know, these structures that are scalable structures, right? You can just do something really simple. As I say, as a very bare minimum, people say it's either one to two LLCs, one for your asset holding company um, and one for your operating company. If you're at that next level um, of like the volume that you're doing, the protection you want, then it's going to make sense to go with the series LLC because that's going to allow you the infinitely scalable and, and uh, cheap protection as you grow. And if you're located in California, you want to use the DST because you want all of those other protection pieces, but you also want the very best protection you can get and you want to avoid franchise tax. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. So I guess the main downside to a DST is that it does cost more money than just creating a simple LLC. 
Yeah, simple LCs, you're usually looking at like somewhere between 950 bucks to $1,500, depending on what that um, looks like, right? Um, for series LLCs, you're with series LLCs that are um, with anonymity associated with them. Um, you're typically looking around $3,000 to put those together. Um, and then the DSTs, you're typically looking at that four to $7,000 range. Okay, makes sense. But I mean, it, it totally makes sense for someone in California, because like you said, in California, you have to pay $800 per LLC at your own, even if the LLC is somewhere else. And so in my example, like my fiance and I, we have 23 units across the country. If we had 23 different LLCs, we would spend a lot of money every single year on just holding these companies. And it doesn't really make sense. Yeah, it wouldn't, it wouldn't make sense for you, right? So, so here's what I see is what happens, right? It's like the alternative, right, Sean, for you is probably like, well, I'll just get one LLC and then hold all of my assets inside of a single LLC, yeah. right? That's what most people end up doing because it's simple. It's easy. It's way better than holding in your personal name. Your personal name is the worst possible way you could own, own an asset because you're, you, know, you get into a car wreck that exceeds the limits of liability, your car insurance policy, or any number of things that you're at emails that you send or our potential allegations of fraud. The thing to understand here is, is inside the United States is that um, there's no limit to how much what somebody can sue you for, right? They can sue you for as much as they want to. Um, so what you have to do is you have to separate assets out of your name. Rich people don't own assets, right? They, they have companies that own assets for them. So let's act like rich people. Um, and then let's be smart about the way we're going to hold those assets because you have all the assets inside of like one LLC, right? Then if there's a lawsuit against one of the assets, say like grandma slips down one of the stairs, falls down one of the stairs, then she's going to sue whoever owns that LLC or who, whoever owns that property, which in your case, Sean, I don't know if this is really your case, but we'll just pretend like it's your case, which in your case would be like, well, that'll be my one LLC. Well, then now grandma gets to come after all of the assets that you have in that LLC. And that's why compartmentalization is so important because uh, and my view is that life gets better the more that we can minimize downside risks. Like the more that we can keep things going up and to the right without like sharp downturns, then that's when life is going to be going great for us. And that's going to be our best route to uh, financial freedom and wealth as real estate investors. Yeah. I mean, it also helps you sleep better at night too. And like, what's the point of making all this money if you can't sleep well? What's the point, right? I mean, it's it's about the peace of mind, right? And I think that's why Royal Legal Solutions is, is one of those um, companies that's such in high demand for real estate investors is because as real estate investors, we know that there's more to the game, right? We're listening to it on podcasts, but it's like who can quarterback all of the moving parts, right? To give us peace of mind that know that it's done right and that we're getting an extremely high level of protection, like the top level of protection, but we're able to do it at like a price that everybody can afford to be able to go do it. And that's kind of like the sweet spot that we, we've niched into is saying like, great, this is where we believe we can best help other people get to financial freedom in a way that makes sense um, and in a way that people can afford to do it. Um, and frankly, in like a market where margins are starting to get compressed. Mm -hmm. And can you tell me the difference between, let's say like a land trust versus a revocable trust? There's, well, actually there's three different types of trusts. I actually have a masterclass like on this, um, into where I delve into over like a 45 minute um, time period. And we have that on our Facebook group, um, the recordings for that. Um, but the long, and the short of it is that there's three different types. There's revocable trust, there's irrevocable trust, and then there's statutory trust, Right. Um, so an example of an irrevocable trust is like an irrevocable life insurance trust that if you have, if you're using like whole life insurance policies and overfunding them, um, you're likely going to see that as part of like your estate plan, right? There's a revocable trust. So the important part about irrevocable trust is once they're set up, you can't touch them. There's nothing you can do with it anymore. It's like there it exists. It's out of your control. There's a revocable trust, which is I set up a trust 
Um, and I can do anything with it while I went alive. I could even disband the trust and then have everything revert back into my name. I can do whatever I want to with the trust. And then there's also a statutory trust, which is a trust that's created by like statutory law. The other two types of trusts are typically created underneath like the common law. Um, so the DST is a form of statutory law, which, which is also what makes it so strong. It's because it's created by statute. So a DST is a special kind of trust because it has asset protection and anonymity associated with it. Um, the irrevocable trusts, you're typically going to find those for like some type of uh, state planning uh, purpose. That's typically what they're used for. And then your revocable trust is what you're going to see for like your living trust as part of your estate plan. But it's also your land trust. So land trust is really just a revocable trust that happens to own a piece of land. Hmm. Okay. So, I mean, this is a little confusing for me. Again, I'm a lender. I see files all the time. We can do loans for revocable trusts. We cannot do loans for land trusts. I don't understand the reason why. I don't know. This is, this is one of the, the key pieces that happens about like, what is the underwriting, right? So this is typically what we happen when we're trying to make loans inside a trust is that we have to go back and forth with lenders and usually the lender's attorney to figure out like, what are you guys talking about? Like, what's the difference between these, these trust documents that are what make it, uh, make it that way? One of the things that they might be looking for, um, Sean, and there is they're, they might be calling it a revocable trust. And what they really mean is they really mean that it's a revocable trust that's part of like an estate plan, like a living trust. So it's like, great, we'll do loans to living trusts, right? But we're not going to do loans to something that like says that it's a land trust. And one of the key differences in there too, just as like a point of evocation, is it could also be that what they're keying off of is the types of disbursements that are happening through the trust. So sometimes what they'll look at is if it looks like the trust is trying to carve up like shares, like ownership shares, they'll say, no, nah, we're not going to do that. Because that looks like you're using it for some type of like other type of business vehicle. Um, and we don't want to lend to business vehicles that are like that. Right. But again, right. It's, it's lender by lender specific. Um, and that's why we typically will always tell people like, Hey, let's even not have this discussion with your lender. Let's just do whatever your lender says that they want to do it. And then we'll just clean it up on the back end. Because the reality of the situation is your, your broker, your, your loan officer, right. They want to close on the loan right? That's their initiative. The underwriters want it to be in this particular way. And guess what? After we close on loan and it goes in their way, nobody cares as long as the payment's getting made. So let's just do that. And then we can save a bunch of time and money on having to go back and forth by like having to talk and uh, talk things through with your lender and get them on board. Yeah, that's absolutely true. I've had many clients do the exact same thing. Yeah. You know, I think what, what the biggest issue is, is like as a lender, it's always like the back end risk. Like what if they don't pay? How hard is it to claw the property back? So, you know, if the property is in an irrevocable trust, it's very hard to get it back, supposedly. And maybe it's the same thing with land trust versus just, you know, your regular living trust. Yeah, you, that might be the case. I, um, I've heard of situations from banks where they're like, well, it's an irrevocable trust and, and what would be like the implication on that. But I don't, I don't actually think that's true. I, I think what really happens is that uh, under, the underwriting requirements actually are just rules that some attorney in a back room like made up because the reality is once you have a secured interest on a piece of property it doesn't matter what the subsequent transfers are your rights to foreclosure have to do with whether you have a perfected lien that's associated with that property or not it doesn't matter what happened on the transfer i could have a loan you could give me a loan and i could sell that property and then eight other people could sell it it could be held in a revocable trust saying that's over in the cayman Islands somewhere else or whatever guess what? The local court doesn't care. Local court says, hey, you have a, a secured property, a secured loan interest that's against this piece of property. Looks like the loan's defaulted. Great. We're going to move the title back to you. That's it. So I, I think it has to do more with um, bureaucracy than it does to have to do with like how do things actually really play out in the legal world. 
it's, it's always be an interesting, you know, question, but we just, we know that like as an operative level for how do we work with investors, you know, we've been working with about 2000 different investors over all 50 States for the last seven years. So we, this is what we've gone with. It's like, Hey, this is the easiest way to do it. And it sounds like the same way that your, your clients are doing it right. too. And what do you think is like a good time for someone to create an entity? You know, honestly, like for, for a lot of new investors, they don't invest because they're too scared of or whatever. It's like just too, it's too complicated for them to set things up. So that's why I tell them it's okay to not have it for your first, you know, one or two, but from your experience, when is like a good time for people to actually get things set up properly? Yeah. So the number one thing to know here is that you always got to be making money. Like you should never wait to make money on a deal. Like don't wait to have an entity structure set up before you need to make money or close on a deal. Cause anything you're doing can always be cleaned up, right? The money is going to go away. Everything else from a legal and tax perspective, we can clean up as long as we're diligent. My personal belief is that every single person that's actively engaged in any type of business, if you have anything that's going on besides like your, your normal W2 job, you should have an LLC and you need at least one LLC. And your first LLC is even if you had nothing else, like you had nothing else would just be your operating company LLC. And the reason why is because your operating company is how you protect yourself personally from a lawsuit. So like if I'm hiring contractors or I'm entering in bids to like a property or I'm doing anything in life, right? If I do that in a personal name and it goes wrong somehow, now the person's going to sue me. And even if they don't have anything they can take from me, it hurts my credit score from the lawsuit. So I need to first have an operating company because when I act with an operating company and something goes wrong, all, my credit score is still protected. And I need a good credit score to be able to get the loans that I need to go get the assets. So number one would say, great, everybody have an LLC, if at least one LLC, when you're just, even if you're just starting out and you're just starting to do business. Then if you have one asset and you're only going to have other one asset, um, with it, great. Have a second LLC and have that second LLC uh, have a land trust and have the land trust own the piece of property. So you can own the property anonymously through the land trust and then the property is protected from litigation because that land trust is owned by an LLC. And that LLC would also have all of your cash, stocks, or any other assets that you care about. That's what we say is like, that's your most basic asset holding company. So that way, now you don't own anything. You're like a rich person. You don't own anything, right? Your asset holding company owns everything. And then now... You aren't actually doing anything. The only an operating company is doing something. An operating company that you work for, that you're a member of, is the one that's sending those emails, that's hiring contractors and doing all of that, um, all those activities that could trigger lawsuits. And if you think you're going to scale into what assets you have, right, into it because it makes sense, and you say, hey, I, I had the one property, but I'm, I'm thinking like, you know, over the next five years, I could probably am looking to have like six, you know, two to six. It's like, great. Well, let's go ahead and make the investment inside of a DST, because the DST is going to be the vehicle that you're going to plan for the end in mind. And part of that planning is knowing like, here's where I'm going to go. That vehicle makes a lot of sense now to take on the extra expense because you're going to grow into it. Right. And to like what you need for it. But if you're not sure, then great. Let's just do the two LLCs because that's what, that's what's present and that's what's real for you right now. And that's what you can feel confident in. And then when we need, and then it's like, great, I'm going to scale great. Then I'll switch to a DST. So there's options in here that go scale up and down. But the most important piece in, from what I've seen is that wealth and success follows taking the right actions, right? Taking the right actions also means having the right relationships. And that also means saying like, I'm thinking intelligently and strategically about my tax estate planning um, and my asset protection as like core to what I do. And I have the right relationship with somebody who's advising me like along the way that I can afford, right? Because it's, it's different. Like not everybody thinks they can afford it. I can guarantee you there's ways to afford it. And then what that does is you're building the skills that it takes to have wealth. 
because you're partnering with people that have walked the journey that you wanted to do before. And this is the sign of like, actually like a, a quality organization in my mind is are you trying to just get everybody into like one thing or are you able to scale up and down depending upon what some of these business needs really are? Right. And that's what was really important to us is that we're not going to oversell or undersell anybody into a particular strategy. Is that great? We can start as small as they want to and we can grow as big as we want to all the way through some of our clients are 50 million, have $50 million in net worth. And we have offshore trust set up for them and everything. So that's what I'm really proud of is that we've created it that says just to the very beginning investor that's, you know, the school teacher that's trying to buy their first rental property all the way up to somebody who has $50 million in net worth. And we're like, no, we have we have like this baseline of, of, of solutions. Yeah. So let's say you're you know scaling up, you're a bigger real estate investor now, you have properties all across the country and you want to start flipping. Would it then make sense to just have one DST and then just create all these like children trusts, I guess is what you call them, child trusts um, for every single property. Like every flip you do is another child under that DST. And then when you sell it, you close it out, do it again and again. Yeah. Well, think about it this way, right? So I, another one of my clients too, who um, thankfully that she was using a series structure uh, with the series structure she had, she did the flip, right? She did the rehab. And then there was some communications back and forth around what plumbing in the house had been replaced as part of the part of the flip or part of the rehab of the asset. Um, and there's a mis- there was some type of confusion in the communication where she had thought she had communicated that it was only the plumbing underneath the house. And the, the person that bought it thought it was all the plumbing in the house. But there was a leak in the, a leak in the house while they were on vacation after they bought the property and cost $75,000 in damage. And they wanted to blame my client. Wow. And I was like, whoa, that's a big lawsuit off of it, right? But totally reasonable in a lot of ways, right? Nice house, 75 grand, water damage. It's really painful, right? Now, my client was able to get that uh, lawsuit dropped completely because of the series structure, because the entity that sold them the asset was the child series, right? She had made all the representations about the property through her operating company, which didn't own anything there, right? My question to the other trainers is, what are you, who are you going to sue? What are you going to get? You can either sue the child series of this entity structure, which doesn't own anything anymore. We brought the cash into it and it's already been distributed. So it doesn't have any assets. And any representation you're saying, you don't have anything to blow back on my client for because it was all through an operating company, which doesn't own any assets. So what do you think you're going to get? And that's the power of the structure. Because remember, in this scenario, right, it didn't matter what happened. The facts didn't matter. It was the structure itself that let us get to the resolution. And that's what you want. That's what, that's what real leverage feels like, that we don't have to worry about the facts because we did all of the planning and all of the strategy right on the front. Yeah, that's super powerful. I think anyone that's listening to this should really take notes because like, dude, this saved your client $75,000, right? And yeah, I mean, that's one of many flips. Like flips, things can go wrong all the time, right? What if someone got hurt on the job site? They could also potentially sue the client. Now, given that, the property will still be in that entity, but still like it's only limited to that one property versus everything else you own. Yeah. Well, it, it, and, and so, and it also stops with that one property, right? So what I find is like a lot of flippers are like, well, I'll just do like an LLC or a couple LLCs. And then I just keep churning my flips in and out of the same LLCs. And I said, oh man, you are going to get hosed. You just don't know it yet. And here's how you're going to get hosed. You're going to sell properties out of your LLC this year, right? And then three years down the line, when you have all the other properties that are in that LLC, then the lawsuit's going to trigger from whatever that they're going to find some defect, but they're going to sue you now when you have all the properties inside of your LLC. So those three properties that you have in your, that one LLC now, all are going to have a Liz pendants put on them and it's going to cloud title. So you're not going to be able to get financing or sell that property until the underlying lawsuit. So you're going to have to pay off that underlying lawsuit with whatever they're doing in that, just to be able to sell those assets yeah. that you have now. You would have never had that problem if you would have used a series structure. 
Because the moment you use one child series and you have the asset and you sell it out, you never use it again because they're free to create, right? And they cost nothing to maintain. So we just spin up a new one with every property. So everybody that's using one LLC and using it over and over and over again, you just have a bunch of skeletons in the closet and you need to switch to a series structure to be able to, uh, to be able to actually have peace of mind and knowing that you're not going to end up with a catastrophic issue at some yeah, point. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's almost guaranteed, right? I mean, if you're an active business, like flipping, you're going to end up with lawsuits. I mean, it just, it just happens. Like there's no way around yeah. it. Now, I earlier you mentioned something about like tax strategies, especially like after you make $50,000 a year, can you go ahead and kind of talk about some of those strategies that investors might need to know about? Yeah. So the very basic ones are usually typically around the use of a um, S corporation and a solo 401k. So a lot of people don't know is that if you can move, uh, if you move your money that you're making through an S corporation, um, you're able to avoid self-employment tax um, on that money. Um, and, the, and you're able to split the money in between dividend income from your LLC, which is taxed at a lower rate than the normal income that comes with it. So if you're making over $50,000 a year, when we crunch the numbers on it, that's where it makes sense of like, great, how much do I save on taxes versus how much does it cost me to do the extra tax preparation and hire somebody to do the extra, extra tax preparation. So that's where that, that number um, comes from. Now, additionally, with the S corporation, when we route the money from your asset holding company and your rental properties through the S corporation, what it also allows us to do is it converts the money from passive income to active income, right? And now that it's active income through your S corp, we can now fund a retirement account with it, like a solo 401k, which allows you to fund, I think it's 57,000 plus uh, per year into that retirement account. And so therefore you don't have to pay tax on any of that money. It just goes, flows through you and into the retirement account, right? Now, once it's in the retirement account, now you can go turn around and buy more real estate with it, right? But you're going to be buying real estate and making investments with more money, like 30% more money, right? So just by the sheer fact of having more money, your total ROI increases, right? Because you just have more capital that's in play. And now some of the people would say like, well, you know, how, how much am I saving with the S corporation? Well, on a net benefit, you're typically saving around between seven to 12% off of your total tax rate, not just like, your, so it's like almost like a third of what you would pay in taxes, right? But it's seven to 10% of your tax rate. And then when you look at the solo 401k and you're looking at the gains you're making there, you have now have a third more money that you're actually pushing into your investments, whatever investments that you want to. There's a couple of things that are excluded, right? Like art, whatever, right? But we're buying real estate because that's what we're about. So we're buying real estate with our solo 401k. We can get financing on it um, just like we would uh, normal properties uh, in many cases. Um, and then uh, what you're able to do if you need the money, right, is you can make a loan to yourself out of the solo 401k for up to half of the value of the solo 401k right? So you actually still have access to cash. So what I like to think about is like, that's my tax-free piggy bank. I make investments with it. And if I need the cash, I can just pull it out by making myself a loan. And you have to pay interest on the loan, but guess what? You're paying interest on the loan back to your own 401k mm -hmm. account. So you're actually just building your 401k even more. Can you go over the structure one more time? So, you know, you are a personal entity and then you create an S corp because that's how you want to pass your business through. You want to run through an S corp. Where does the whole like LLC and DSTs come to play in this structure here? Um, so think about it as like left hand, right hand, right? Like your left hand is your asset holding company. It's totally independent. All it's doing is holding assets. It's not doing anything else. It doesn't talk to anybody. It doesn't do anything. That's your DST, right? Completely separate on your right hand. That's your operating company, your LLC or S corporation. 
right? That's the one that's communicating with everybody. That's where all the money is going to go through. Because when we take the money, whatever way, whatever way we're making money and we route it through the S corporation, now we can avoid self-employment tax and we can split the income between dividend income and regular income with it. Now, directly underneath your operating company is your solo 401k. So the solo 401k is, inherent, is I guess, like owned by the LLC or the S corporation. Right. That's your operating company. So the money flows into the S corporation. If you want to take the money out as personal income. Right. Awesome. That's going to be a split between regular income and dividend income. If you're like, great, I don't want to pay tax on it. Great. Push it down into your solo 401k and make investments out of your solo 401k to grow your net worth faster. And if you need the cash, then make a loan out of your solo 401k back to yourself. OK, cool. So just to reiterate, let's say I guess on my left hand, I have a DST that has all my rental properties. It has mm -hmm. all the individual properties that I'm flipping. But all the money that goes into it, let's say I need to fund deals that comes from the S Corp um, that I funded already, or all the profits that come from my flips that comes out of my asset holding DST and then goes into this S Corp. And because I'm getting paid back personally from the S Corp, I no longer have to pay self-employment taxes. And I have all these benefits, including the 401k or self-employed 401k. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And if, if it's feeling confusing to you, Sean, or anybody else like listening to this, this is this is exactly why we have a consultation process where we diagram everything out. Because once you can see the pictures of it, you're like, oh, okay, cool. This is actually super simple, like, of, and how the money flows. And we have uh, some really great um, like webinar and video presentations that I go through that have the diagrams of me like walking everybody through it. But yeah, I think you have a really good handle of it. Okay, cool. Uh, what are some of the common costs associated with doing something like this? Um, I think our, our average client uh, spends uh, about $7,000 with us uh, to be able, depending upon what they need, right? So some people are like, hey, I need much more advanced like estate planning because I got a, a child that has special needs. Some of them are like, hey, I want the very best um, asset protection, so I want a DST. And some of them are like, well, I want the asset protection, but I don't really feel like I need an operating company or I, or I, I don't really need a retirement account, right? So um, what I'd like to look at is say like, you know, you... There's options that we have, right? We said we can start as low as we want to. So there's options that we have that are as, as little as $500 to start putting anonymity in place and getting the assets anonymous because that's number one for us, right? And then we have options that are all the way up to like $50,000, which is when we start looking at domestic structures and offshore structures and how those have to work together and how they have to be streamlined for taxes. Um, but our average client um, is typically spending around 7000 Okay. And do you guys also offer like CPA services as well? Yeah, we have a CPA on staff um, to do with clients. So um, we're able to help um, many clients with their tax issues. And for anything that falls outside of the scope that we feel comfortable with, uh, we have partners that we have that have their own you know, CPA firms, but they're people that I know, like, and trust um, and feel comfortable working uh, directly with um, that we have longstanding relationships with. So that way there's just seamless communication, right? The worst thing that can happen to you is that when you find attorneys that don't have good relationships with CPAs is that the CPA and the attorney don't see eye to eye and they make different recommendations and it leaves you confused. So to me, it's really important to have that relationship streamlined. So that way you always have one voice, one person to talk to, one source of truth about like, what do I need to do next um, without the confusion that can come back and forth otherwise. And, uh, you know, for anyone listening to this podcast who isn't convinced yet that they want to get, you know, protected, what are some of the common guess, stories that you've heard of, you know, landlords getting sued for? Is there something that, you know, they complete oversight and boom, big surprise happens. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things, right? So like people getting hurt on the property is a big one, right? Grandma falling through the stairs, right? And a lot of people think like, Hey, my insurance is going to protect me. It, it will on small claims, not on big claims. Asset insurance companies, right? Their job is to collect premiums and deny coverage, especially when it gets expensive. So I've seen people that own assets in their personal name, have an injury on the property. It's catastrophic and boom, they get wiped out. Right. 
Um, I've seen people get sued over the way they entered into their lease agreements because they entered into their personal name there. And so now there was a lawsuit regarding the lease. I mean, God help you if there's a, an environmental issue with it, right? And now they're going to come after you personally for, you know, what mold, whatever health problems mold, causes people with mold, but that's millions of dollars into it, right? That can come through. Um, I had a friend of mine who lost over $3 million in real estate because he was very well insured. You know, he had another, he had another deal that was going on, another business deal. Um, and uh, that deal went sideways. And so they sued him. And he's like, well, I got insurance. I don't have to worry about it. But what he didn't know is that the insurance only protected him again from negligence. Like all insurance only protects him from negligence. And they were suing for fraud and breach of contract, which is what everybody gets sued for, right? Nobody sues you and said, no, they were totally honest and they did everything they were supposed to do, right? They sue you because they said, hey, they, they, you, did, you did all this horrible stuff that they're lying about, but whatever. Everybody lies when they get into lawsuits, right? That's why being honest doesn't protect you. And he lost $3 million from it. And all he would have had, if he would have just done like a single LLC and had all of his assets inside that one LLC, which I think is like really not smart protection. Like it's really just the very basic you can do. He would have saved over $3 million and it would have cost him like under $1,500 to put that together. But he was like, nope, I got insurance. I don't need to listen to anything else that's going on here because I got insurance. So I feel like I'm okay. And I was like, man, if you would have just done anything, you would have saved yourself a bunch of money. Yeah. You know, I've even heard like a, I'm not sure if it's like a rumor or whatever, but someone has told me that single member LLCs don't have the protection that normal LLCs do. So if someone wants to sue you and you're only a single member LLC, it'll pass through it and it'll get all your stuff. Is that true or is that false? It depends where the LLC is formed. So that's why it's important to know where you should form LLCs that have the proper charging order protection. That's why we look for Delaware, Texas, Nevada, and Wyoming, because those are the states that have the strongest charging order protection with them and that you can have them as single member and that they'll still hold up with it, right? So I think a lot of people, uh, they get confused about, you know, what's going to be effective and not effective. Part of what we offer with the firm too is um, we call it like a family office and has like a whole host of other like support benefits, like unlimited access to our tax and attorney staff and to our support staff. Um, we do a quarterly review with everybody once a quarter to say, great, let's strategize what's coming up for you in the next quarter. I like your tax planning, your asset protection and what assets you're getting into. But it also includes a piece to it that says, um, if you're ever involved in a lawsuit, that we're part of your legal team at no additional cost. And that family office membership is only $49 a month. Right. And it's for these exact type of reasons. Right. Because if you got a lawsuit filed against you, who are you going to go to? Your CPA that told you, don't worry about it. You know, no, you end up coming to an attorney. Right. An attorney that's like me, that's a litigator that knows real estate and that's how that, that plays out. Right. So it's important for us to be able to say, not only do we structure everything for everybody, but for a very affordable amount of money, we're able to be the support, a 360 support system of like continual contact with us so you can have all of those information resources. So you can ask those questions like, Hey, I heard this thing, right. Of like single member LLCs, like aren't right. What's really going on. What's the real truth. Great. Let's get you into a meeting with one of the staff attorneys. You don't have to pay anything for it. Let's get that question answered. So, cause we're about peace of mind and how do you have, you know, how do you actually really create that peace of mind? You need answers to those kinds of questions. Awesome. Well, Scott, thank you so much for being on the show today. Do you have any last tips for listeners before you finish up? Um, yeah, I would say guys that the number one thing that separates the winners and losers from my experience, um, is people that take action. Right. And so what I'd like everybody to do that's listening to the show is to take action and connect with us. Um, we have a, uh, I'm really, really keen on, uh, education-based sales and marketing. Right. So what I've told my team to do and everything that I've been building over the last seven years was give away all the information for free. 
let's create thousands of dollars worth of value between like master classes, eBooks and other things. And no, we're not going to sell them. We're going to give them away for free to people. So the number one thing you can do is take action and just reaching out uh, to us to get inside of our, the Royal Legal Solutions, the, our asset protection vault and get access to all of those resources because they're going to be the same resources that I've developed over the last seven years that are most powerful for the clients. And when you connect with us, not only do you get access to those resources, but you'll actually get a human connection with, with our team. And then any other questions that you have about you know, what other things are going to be useful for me as an investor to read that you guys have produced, we're going to hook you up with all of those resources that we have at no cost, right? You only start to pay us money when we're going to get into actually doing work for you. But when it comes into the education connection, like our resource side of things, and we're going to give you all of that stuff for free. And we have we really have the best resources. I haven't met any, haven't seen anything that anybody else does. That's been from my strategy of like, let me just produce amazing resources. So you don't have to talk to us. You can just study on your own. And then when you're ready to have a conversation, you know, we're going to be in touch with you, right? Because we know that accountability is really important and helping people be accountable about something that's not necessarily sexy or fun is super important. But it's, it's my goal and my team's goal is to say, like, we're going to try to get you all the best education as possible. And that when it makes sense to you, right, because now you understand it and you see the value in it. Great. Now let's talk about how we can, how we can join together and partner together and grow together as, as a client. And so where can people find that information? Best thing to go to, and I think that um, we have this as in the show notes as well, but if you go to the uh, rlspod.com and then backslash E-R-E-I, so that's rlspod.com backslash E-R-E-I. Perfect. And is that a best way for them to get in contact with you as well? Yeah, that's what that's going to do is take you to the asset protection vault. And that's the best way to be able to connect with the team. It's like, go to that page, download uh, the resources um, that are there. Um, we'll have a information that we'll ask you for of like your personal contact info. So we know who you are and who's downloading our stuff. Um, and when you download it, then that's when the team will also reach out to you uh, to be able to help see if there's anything else that we can do to help you through the next step in your journey. Perfect. Well, Scott, thank you again so much for your time. I really appreciated you coming on the show and teaching us all about asset protection management. It's super helpful. I'm pretty sure I'll save someone a million dollars somewhere down the line. Uh, man, I'm telling you, we're saving people tens of thousands of dollars like every single week. We get to hear about it, of, of situations they come into and know that they're saving tons of money. And then and when it comes into the tax savings, I mean, you're talking five, ten, twenty-five thousand dollars in savings is, is pretty na- normal for us. And like what we're able to do, especially if somebody's never had, had never really looked at it before with a professional that really understands, you know, real estate. So I really look forward to connecting with everybody um, there, Sean. And, and the best part is, is that you're going to get all those free resources just by going to rlspod.com backslash E-R-E-I. Cool. All right, Scott, thank you guys so much for your time. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can find the show notes and other episodes on our site, everythingrei.com slash podcast. If you live in the Bay Area, Join our meetup group, where we meet up twice a month in San Jose at meetup.com slash everythingrei. And if you thought this was a great episode, let me know what your key takeaway was and share it with a friend who's interested in real estate investing. Thanks and have a great day. This was another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. If you enjoyed the show, leave us a five-star rating. It will only take a second and it'll help a lot. You can contact me at sean at everythingrei.com. That's S-E-A-N at everythingrei.com. Thanks and have a great day.